podcasting from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, known as the City of Bridges. This is Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, conversations of influence and change. I am your host, Christy Knights, C-suite executive coach, psychotherapist, professional speaker, and best-selling author, the revolutionary leader in business and life. Hello, and welcome to Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, conversations of challenge and change. My name is Christy Knights, and I am so glad to have you here. I cannot wait to introduce my guest. We have an incredible woman whom I met at a conference not too long ago. I knew when I met my dear friend that she was someone I wanted on the podcast, and I knew that she was changing and saving lives and would love and have a warm welcome from our audience. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Her name is Joni Edel. Um, excuse me, Joni Adel. That is the German pronunciation, as I've learned. And so we love to really cling to our culture and who we are as people. I think it's very important. So Joni Adel. Let me tell you just a little bit about her. She has worked in caregiving professions from the very beginning. Out of college for seven years, she worked in group homes with special gifted adults and then in activities in nursing facilities for the last 18 years. Now, she works as a caseworker for seniors in the community. She has been a servant for many years. In all of the years of caregiving, she's learned the importance of self-care, which often many of us struggle with. And I am so glad to have her here to share her journey with us. She's learned that if you are empty, you have nothing to give to others and the importance of that self-care. I've also learned that she absolutely loves to play the guitar. So without further ado, Joni, welcome. Welcome to Knights of the Revolutionary Leader. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Christy. I am thrilled to have you here. I feel so blessed to have connected with you just a few weeks ago um, and just to be a part of your life. So thank you so much for sharing your journey. Joni, talk to me a little bit about where you grew up and what it was like growing up in your family, some of those dynamics. Well, I grew up in the suburbs in New Jersey. It was what people would see as like a normal family. We were involved in sports. We were very active in the community. My parents were very active in the community. You know, so we were busy and active and always involved in what was happening. But there was other things happening at home that created a circumstance where I would not be comfortable with myself growing up. I would feel like not good enough. There was there was drinking and um, you know that's that can cause a challenge for young people to to just jump in and have to when you're really young just to jump in and have to be giving a lot of care there. Right, right. So did you have brothers and sisters? Yes, um, I was raised with um, two brothers. Uh, one who is six years older than me, and the other who is three years older than me. So I'm the youngest and the only girl. So you can imagine, <laughs> you know. Always getting my way, not necessarily. <laughs> so what are some of your fondest memories of of your family and being with them? And thinking about our vacations, we used to go away to Lake George every year, you know, go out and play miniature golf. Fun times that we had, go out to breakfast. That's my father's favorite meal, out to breakfast. was his favorite meal. Of course, he wanted us up at 6 a.m. so that we could get out Get, get and, and cram in the rest of the day, you know. Let's go to breakfast right now. <laughs> up and moving. <laughs> yes. Yeah, up and moving, up and moving. <laughs> 
but we had great times at the up in Lake George. We enjoyed each other and we enjoyed the space of the mountains and the lake. In fact, I live in a lake community now. I think part of the reason I live in the lake community is because it reminded me when we came to look at this house, my husband and I, it really reminded me of the trips to the lake as a kid. Yes, how nice. So those were definitely fond memories um, with the family. And you had shared that there was drinking. At what age do you remember that drinking occurring? It's odd because I'm sure it, it occurred way before I would actually have memories of it. As a young child, you know, I remember traveling with the parents and my father having had too many. But I also remember, you know, at one, like maybe seven and eight, like seven, eight years old, or maybe between seven and 10 years old, that was happening. But also, you know, my mother um, was drank very much and she would um, be, you know, sometimes incapacitated to the degree of needing people to be, care, be caring for her. And me as who I was would jump in and help my dad give care there. So I, I had a lot of experience with um, her getting sick and, you know, my, my bedroom was right next to the bathroom. So <laughs> not like you miss that, you know, not like you can miss that kind of a situation. Right, right. What do you remember thinking to yourself or, or feeling at, at those times? You know, as a kid, I've actually looked, you know, explored myself. And as a kid, I um, remember that my father would yell at her. To me, you know, when someone's sick, it didn't seem to right time to be yelling. But because of the nature of what made her sick, I know that, um, I know that, uh, you know, now as an adult, I know that that's why he was yelling. But to me, it was confusing, I believe, and, and upsetting to witness that because, you know, I, I actually grew up yelling at people when they're sick, you know, but I'm trying to be different, you know, and I work on being different, but when my husband's sick, it upsets me. And, and now I know it's probably because my dad was scared for whatever reason he was yelling at her, but, um, right. Right. How did your brothers respond to that? Some days, I don't know how some days I think, or I don't know how much they heard of that because their bedroom was upstairs. Like, you know, cause I, they were never right in it. Like I was right in it. I mean, they, I'm sure they have their own experiences of the, of my mom's drinking and all, but um, I don't, I don't know. I'm not really sure how they experienced that, you know? Okay. So it wasn't something that you talked about with them. Oh no. Wow. <laughs> secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. I found that out. <laughs> Ooh, that's powerful. You're only as sick as your secrets. But the, we kept a lot of secrets growing up, you know? We were fighting. It was closed the front door. We don't want the neighbors to hear yelling. I don't really know how my brothers felt. As I got older, I know a little bit more about how they feel about it now, but not much because they're still they're still in a place where they don't want to talk about it that much, you know? Right, right. It's very painful to talk about, very difficult mm -hmm. to talk about, right? So what was your relationship like with your mom then through your teenage years? Well, as that, that's a, something I've looked at as well. Um, that's an area that's a little bit fuzzy for me. But what I'm, what I'm fi figuring out is that, you know, my mom, her drinking progressed. And so if she was drinking when I was a little kid, then as my, in my teenage years, it was worse. I think she was less present for me as I got older. And, and I actually have been trying to figure out, like, I don't remember my parents coming to much of anything that I did in high school, plays, 
or, you know, concerts. I thought about talking to my dad about it, but it's like, I don't, you know, my relationship with her, I needed to have, a, you know, a mom during my teenage years. And I don't feel like that was a time that she was really able to be present for me. How did you feel during that time when they weren't, when she wasn't present for you? You know, it's upsetting. I mean, uh, that, that it's still an a- area of my life that I don't have a lot of details for. I'm being advised by people, maybe you should ask your dad if they came to your concerts or your brothers, maybe your brothers would remember, you know, it, but I mean, when I really think about it, you know, the teenage years are so hard for, I mean, girls and boys, but you know, girls are going through a lot of changes and I just didn't feel like I had the support that I needed during that time frame. I don't place any blame there now, you know, but it is something I have to be aware of. Yes, absolutely. And how it affects your relationships now. So how was your relationship with your dad growing up? He was kind of hands off, not not on everything. Like I played softball and he was active with me in that. But I'll tell you uh, here, I'll tell you a story. When I was 13 and I got my menstrual cycle, we were out shopping and, you know, somewhere and I realized I had it and we got in the car. He didn't say a word on the way home. It was like I was sick. Like, you know what I mean? So there's, yes. there's, a, there's an area where he wasn't able to be excited for me, you know, becoming a woman. And um, he, he uh, you know, I don't know, maybe after that, he seemed a little more distant because he wasn't, and he never was very comfortable with um, expressing, I mean, I don't know, I'm not going to blame it on the nationality background, but there's a staunchness to him. He, he wouldn't say I love you or, or give a lot of hugs. Now he's now he's way, way I love you and huggy. But <laughs> really, my oldest brother, my, my oldest brother, who's six years older than me, I feel like he did a lot of watching us as, you know, as we got into the high school era, my other brother and I, because my parents, you know, were busy, I guess, going out and drinking or whatever they were doing. Not that they didn't give us time, but I just feel like my oldest brother was my more like a parent at that time. Right. He did more of the, the caretaking and the raising of you. What was it like when your brothers then grew up and were no longer in the home, leaving you there on your own? Well, my caretaking responsibilities increased. I'm, I'm actually remembering, um, you know, we would go to families for parties or whatever, and I would be. Like if my mother would drink, I would be the one helping her down the stairs and out of the home of the individual when my father pulled the car up. I got more and more invested in the giving of the care and, um, you know, and and you kind of lose yourself. You don't, I don't really feel like I got to be a teenager the way that other people got to be a teenager. Yes, that's very true. Yes. Thinking back back to that time, how were you doing emotionally? Were you struggling at all with negative self-talk or anxiety or depression? Well, I know I didn't feel good about myself. And I did, you know, I think I stuffed a lot of it. And I was pretty numb for a long time. And I got less numb as I got older and left the home and got a job and started working. You know, I started to, but then I, but then I started to act out like in job situations where. You know what I mean? At first, when I was first working after college, 
I, I remember the end of my college career and, and getting ready to go out and work and saying to my dad, I really need a car now. because I didn't have a car through college and him saying, oh, why? Like, it's like he didn't want his little girl to grow up. And I got angry. And then we proceeded to, to look for a vehicle for me. I said, I'm gonna have to work after college, you know. I think that I carried stuff into my work relationships. How did you see it affect your relationships at work? I would say that like I had been at the group home career for, I think it was seven years and I moved up the ladder there. And then I was, I was acting out. I was, you know, I was trying to get attention with, I don't want to say subordinates, but I can't think of a different term. People who I I was a supervisor. So people who worked on a different level than I hanging out and not doing, you know, doing inappropriate things. That was, that's a hard um, circumstance for me to talk about. But when I do tell my story to people, I tell that story because I ended up getting demoted there. They didn't want to, they didn't want to let me go because I had given so many years of service, but I ended up getting demoted. And ultimately I was like, I'm not going to be demoted and work here among people that I was supervising before and found a new job. But it was my issue that created the circumstances. I didn't know that at the time. I was just, I was just angry. <laughs> I was just really, I hate to laugh, but I was, I was, I was really angry and didn't know it, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think humor is good. You know, I think laughing allows us to release some of the tension around a difficult topic when we talk about it. So, you know, I think it can be, you know, healthy for us. And I appreciate your vulnerability and transparency to share. It, it's difficult, but that's what as leaders, you as a leader, myself, when we rise up and share our personal stories, we can save a life. Um, someone who's gone through the same thing. And, and this is an area that's not talked about. Whenever we struggle at work and our own personal issues get in the way when they cause demotions or they cause an embarrassing situation, we don't want to talk about it. So to, you, you know, to hear your courage is incredible, Joni, and I, I appreciate that. It's not, it's not an easy part. It's not an easy part of my story that for me to tell. So thank you. I appreciate that. So, you know, as the years went by, when did you begin to struggle, you know, mentally and realize, gosh, I've got to figure this out? The end of that career at the group homes is when I started, um, you know, I, I was recommended to go see somebody, some counseling. And, um, you know, due to my my anxiety and my, because I was acting out, basically I had been a valued employee for seven years. And then all of a sudden um, I was doing some things that were not appropriate. So, you know, they recommended for me to see somebody and I did ultimately find another job, but I kept seeing that individual. I kept talking to them about my childhood and my anxiety. Um, I remember, you know, I need to tell this story because I think this is important. When I would have incidents of anxiety, if I was in my car, I would start thinking of driving into a tree. And, you know, that alarmed me. That alarmed me greatly. You know, I know the anxiety came from further back, but I wasn't sure how to approach it and deal with it. So I I mean that those kinds of things began happening for me. And that was a, a signal for me to start considering you know, what was going on in my history? How can, how can I look into this and try to change who, you know, who I am, not entirely change who I am, because the good stuff is still there too, you know, Mm -hmm. but work on that stuff that's challenging. 
Absolutely. How did you begin to gain that courage to to take care of yourself in that way? I would say that, you know, my counselor encouraged me to look into groups for um, relatives and friends of alcoholics. And because it's anonymous, I won't, I won't go any further than there. But an amazing help to get together and tell your stories, because that's what those kind of groups do. You know, it's, it's uplifting and you get to hear what people have done in circumstances, how they looked at life differently. So, you know, I want our audience to hear that even whenever life is difficult and you feel like you can't, you can. And it can start with just a group or encouragement by one person or, you know, the ability just to make that phone call for the first appointment to do that, that they're not alone in what they're doing. You know, the first step, the first step is willingness to be healthier is what I, is what I um, understand now, you know, and I, I always like, I, I always tell people who I'm interacting with in those groups to be real because people are going to find out anyway, <laughs> you know, like when you start relationships with people, be real because they're going to find out anyway. And one of my favorite books to read, it's, it's a kid's book, but it's one of my favorite books to read is, uh, the Velveteen Rabbit. I don't know if you know that story, but it talks about um, the the uh, toys want to become real, or they're becoming real by being loved, you know. And um, it's it, the one line is about all of your hair is loved off, and your eyes pop out, and your springs or something. <laughs> and I just think it's so true. We're we're the most real when we're the most vulnerable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's a challenge for people to get to that level of realness and, and vulnerability. That's something that I talk about oftentimes on this podcast is, you know, again, we're saving lives by being real. What led you to be able to be real? What led me to be able to be real? Really getting to know myself, I think. Like like looking into who I am and writing down what I think might be my faults and my not really my faults, but my my challenges. And my and the things that I do well, like not, you're not supposed to just look at your challenges. It was so hard for me to look at the things I do well because I because I, I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel good enough to look at the good things. And there's always good things with people, you know. So to become real, you know, I had to be real with people. I had to tell them who I am. Absolutely, I think that's great. And how long did you struggle with suicidal thoughts? Some days I feel anxiety and stress now. I don't want to I don't want to take my life necessarily, but I remember when I had anxiety attacks and how I really didn't want to be here when I had them. You know, now I've learned ways to change that. So, I mean, it was it was probably a good um 6 years. I don't know. I think that's I think that's around the amount of time before I got more grounded in my in my counseling. Absolutely. And that's a good point that sometimes even though we've worked through the bulk of it, and we've gained the skills, there are times where it still can rear its ugly head and we find ways to work through it again. It's like, it's like this. People tell me life on life's terms. Doesn't, doesn't mean I have to like not want to be here anymore. I just need to breathe and try to figure out what the next right thing is to do. Absolutely. Yes. That is so true. That is so true. So, Talk about, you know, entering a relationship, getting married. What was that like for you? <laughs> the first time we were having a disagreement over something, I um, started to cry. 
And he's like, we're just discussing it, you know, because because conflict for young people, I mean, you get mixed messages and there's yelling for people who deal with alcoholic parent parents. You know, there's mixed messages and then you go into this relationship and you're trying to have a discussion about something right away. To me, it rose to the level of, oh, my God, like, you know, like we're we're yelling or we're not going to like each other. or And then he just looked at me and said, yeah, we're just discussing this. I, oh, OK. Oh, that you mean we can do that? <laughs> Good. So learning how to bring conflict helped in your relationship. Learning how to deal with conflict is key. You know, I feel, I feel like I'm still learning how to deal with conflict at times, but I can pause. And if somebody disagrees with me about something, it doesn't have to be, you know, I don't have to change my opinion. I always thought I had to agree with the other person. I mean, even in my relationship with my spouse, we don't always agree on everything, but we, we, you know, respect each other and we agree to disagree on things. Yes, absolutely. And knowing that even though you disagree doesn't mean the person is going to leave you, reject you, abandon you. And it doesn't mean they don't love you. It doesn't mean they don't love you. They do love you. It's just that they don't agree with you on that on that point. That's that's always for me. That's what it was. If I don't agree with everybody, they're going to leave me. Uh, they don't love me or they're not going to be my friend. You know that I'm putting quotes in the air, but you can't see them. But you know, be my friend. Oh, yeah, friend. So it's a tough road to to navigate. You know, my 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 journey now is is about anger. Like I didn't realize I had so much anger, which comes historically, which comes from my historical upbringing. I didn't express it then. You know, so now I have to work on that because it comes up when I'm angry about something, and it, I and I sit there and I go, "Is this about what's happening, Joan, or is this about?" historical thing. In what ways have you worked on your anger? As a, as a woman, you know, we are taught to not show anger. Don't be angry. I, I Don't cry and don't be angry. And frequently now I cry when I'm angry. So, okay, you told me not to cry. You told me not to be angry. Now I'm going to do both. You know, how do I deal with it? You know what? One important thing that I find about my anger is allowing myself to feel it, you know, like, not getting not getting stuck in it like I'm allowed to feel it but I don't have to stay in it forever and I can always revisit it you know like I don't have to let it go forever either if there's something I need to be angry about I can be angry appropriately you know my counselor and my husband always said to me you can think whatever you want in your head as long as you don't say it immediately like if I'm at work and I get angry about something I don't have to immediately say it out loud to everybody I can bring it to somebody who's safe my counselor, my husband, my friends, and I can say it to them and it's okay. You know, it's okay. But it's important to feel it and it's important to not get stuck in it. At least in my experience, I can't speak for everybody, but that's my experience. No, but I think there's such wisdom in that because you have lived that experience and in that wisdom, others can learn and grow from it. You're right. You can't get stuck in it. When we get stuck in it, then it spirals into anxiety, depression, negative thinking, fear, just a scary place to be. I had stopped counseling for a while. I had gone for like 17 years and I had stopped for a while. And then some circumstances started happening in my life. Um, my, my godmother, my aunt had passed away and I work in a field where you're going to lose people. But this was a very young man and he may have taken his own life by mixing his medications. People tell me it might have been accidental, but it was devastating for me. 
And then I had a change in a relationship in in my family, not my or my, my not my family of origin, but my family with my husband. I had a change in a relationship, and it was felt like rejection. It was a difficult time for me, so I decided to go back to counseling. And at that time, I was doing a lot of where I would go through these spurts of I would cry and I was feeling, and then I would be, no, I'd be angry, then I'd cry, then I'd feel depressed or not, maybe not in that order. I would cry, I'd be angry and I would feel depressed. And I was getting, I was getting upset about that because, you know, it was scaring me. It was another part of my life that I had to, that, that I felt like I was revisiting some anxiety in a severe way. Like, you know, anxiety attacks were big for me and then they weren't really coming back totally, but they were coming back a little, like if I can't explain it, it's hard to, it's hard to really explain, but it felt worse than a, than a normal, oh, I feel anxious about this. Maybe you could explain it, but I, so I decided to go back to counseling. It's, it's been wonderful. It's been such a gift, you know, to be able, and, and with the counselor who saw me when I lived in another state, now I'm, you know, Absolutely. And I think there's such a stigma still around counseling. And and I love hearing that you utilized it for a long time and then able to return. I say to clients that you may be here for 12 sessions, two years, 10 years, and you may come back after 20 for that guidance, that coaching, whatever it may be, but it becomes such a safe and sacred place to grow and learn about yourself and the impact of becoming insightful into your own actions and thoughts is, is powerful. It takes people different periods of time to get comfortable with their counselor as well. I mean, it took me a while because she used to say things. I used to bring up my family or other people who I was upset with. And then she would say exactly to me what I said to her. And then I would defend the person for a long time. I did that. And so it took me quite a while to get to a point of, uh, you know, letting letting the the statement stand and not correcting it by saying, "Oh, but they didn't mean it" or whatever. I know they didn't mean it. They did the best they could with what they had available. It doesn't mean it didn't affect me, and I don't blame them for it. I'm not in a blame space. I'm just in a space where I'm aware of it, so I know how it affects me, and that helps me grow and be better in my life or be different. Yes, absolutely. So as the years passed, how did your relationship with your parents continue to develop? Well, I'm like I'm happy to say that I'm on a on a better um I'm a be- on a better path with them. Um, you know, because I don't I'm not in judgment. I'm not sitting in judgment. I'm not I'm not angry with them. Uh, sometimes I'm angry at circumstances. Um, last year we had a major issue happen with my father medically and he was my mom's caregiver because my mom has some, you know, she's confused. I don't know. I don't know if they really have it diagnosed as Alzheimer's, but so, so a new chapter of their life had to happen and they moved into the state that I live in and they moved into an assisted living because in the state they lived in, they were paying a lot of money for assisted living and he didn't want to go home because he was anxious about that. See, anxiety runs in the family, but but before that happened, I even started seeing them and seeing them. When you see yourself differently, you can see your parents differently. You know, they they did the best they could. They really did. They didn't have any other tools with what they, you know, for what they could give us. And um, a few years ago, my father gave me all the letters he wrote my mother when he was in the Navy, and I read them and put them in a book and um, like a notebook. And it's like a it's like a love story. Like, th- wow, they had a life before us, you know. Like, so I mean, they didn't intend to do what they did the way they did it. 
they wanted to be, you know, they, they, they were the best parents they could be. So I have a different relationship with them now. Now I'm actually going to be going to see them later this afternoon, you know, but, but they, yeah, you know, it's sometimes it's frustrating, you know, cause they need a lot of help and my father's not even handling the paperwork that well anymore, but it's, um, but I love them. You know, I, I, they, they did, they put a roof over our heads. They, they gave us clothes on our back and food and, then they and we had fun. We did have fun in our house, you know. We that that's that's the part that I had to get to, you know, with the anger and the stuff that did affect me. I had to get to the part of oh, there's good stuff too. Some people can't see that, you know. They don't. Depending on what happened in their lives, maybe it's more difficult to see it than I than my experience. But I'm glad I got there. I, I let it happen. I I wanted it to happen. So yes. That is wonderful. Are there other things in your story that you feel it's important to share with us? I feel like what I'm doing is I'm trying to set some set some goals for myself. I, um, I, I you might want to call it a bucket list, but I mean I'm I'm not dying, but I, but I mean I love that movie, the concept of that movie, the bucket list. You know, I I also like the uh, concept of the movie Patch Adams, where he was able to help people do things that they always wanted to do. Um, you know, the, the woman wanted to sit in a bowl of noodles and he set that up for her. I mean, it sounds crazy, but I, I just, when I saw those two films, I'm thinking I need to like have some, you know, places I want to go. And some of them are more simple. A few years ago, I said, I wanted to do a presentation at the activity conference in the state that I live in. And now I've been doing the presentations for three years and Incredible. isn't that a blessing? I'm so excited about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I wanted to walk in a, a 5K and I did that. I want to record some music. But I mean, you know, where where I'm headed, like I'm, sh- I'm trying to be open to what my higher power's will for me is, you know. So the, the recent um, experience, when I'm open, I get a lot of messages that, um, you know, ideas that are, um, I want to record my music, but, but the one idea that I had, um, after the, the conference that we met at was about, um, doing a presentation. That's a motivational presentation. And I I had to say, really God, like, (laughs) I mean, I know I can stand up in front of people, but really a present, a motivational presentation, but I guess I'm pretty motivational. People seem to see that in me. And after my presentation this last year, they said, you should be a keynote speaker. Some people said that to me at the end. And so I started thinking about that. And I feel like everybody has something in them that's that's wonderful, you know, that they could offer. And some people, it might be simple, too. It doesn't have to be something as big as a motivational speaker. It li- it lifts me, though, to think, even if I write this this motivational speech and I never give it, if it's if that's the direction my higher power wants me in, if, she, if he just wants me to get this down on paper, then that's important to me to be open to continue living my life where I'm open to direction and to share with people, to be real. I mean, I, I talked about that book, The Velveteen Rabbit, one of my favorites. I really tell people all the time, if they're starting in relationships with people, like um, intimate, personal par- partner relationships, I say, be real, you know, it's, 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 like, it's what I say most often to people saying to me, oh, I'm getting involved with somebody. So, I, I mean, I try to be real and I don't, I, I really, I'm trying to think, I, I don't really, I don't really know if there's anything else. I mean, I, I was thinking about 
I looked over some of those questions that you had on the list there, you know, and I was like, I was thinking about the dark places I've been and how I cannot go back there because I know more about myself than ever, you know, and I sure I feel upset and sad sometimes, but I, but I, I have, I have a fellowship of people who care about me and who, and who will support me through that. So that is wonderful. So share with us, you know, if you were to thank someone in your life, who would you send a thank you to? That was a question that I actually looked at. And I think, you know, I think that I have to thank my parents. Like, I mean, it sounds strange. People, people say it, you know, I have to thank them because, well, I'm remembering a circumstance with my mom. When I was learning how to drive, she, um, I was going to go get stamps. I know. And she, she was the one who said, I, I was really a timid driver then. And she said, well, take your dad's car. Like she was trying to encourage me because I hadn't been driving much. You know, she was encouraging. Like she um, pushed me, I think, because she never drove and she not, you know, she did a wonderful job housewife. It, like she took care of the house. I like to, I like to call her a domestic engineer, not a housewife. Absolutely. <laughs> Whenever I would talk to people in the nursing facilities, I would say, oh, so what did you do for a living? And they would say, oh, I didn't go outside my home. I said, oh, so you were a domestic engineer. But um, she did encourage me. She wanted me to be able to do more and more things that might be more things than she was able to do on some levels, you know. So whether it was my mom and dad or just my mom. But I've but I've also who would I write a thank you letter? Her. Because I feel like. She did encourage me, but I do thank her face to face and thank them face to face all the time, you know, for what they gave me. Our relationship has matured so much, though, I have to say, because we can talk about other things now. Which is wonderful to be able to have that relationship as you're growing older with your mom and dad. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Joni, for being on the show. And thank you for sharing your story. It is certainly powerful. And you are an incredible woman, very resilient. And so, you know, if people want to get a hold of you for a speaking engagement, how can they reach you? What's a safe way to to reach you? They could reach me on uh, my email, if you want. Um, E-X-S-T-H-O-P-E. That's Experience, Strength, and Hope at PTD, Peter Tom David dot net. Perfect. Thank you so much. So if you're interested in Joni speaking at your next event, do not hesitate to reach out to her. You can send her an email and she will provide you with the necessary information and gather the information to make that decision. Um, she is an incredible woman with an incredible story. So I suggest that you hire her. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful. It's been wonderful with you as well. Be well and healthy. Thank you for listening to Knights of the Revolutionary Leader, Conversations of Influence and Change. Each show, we bring you a guest of revolutionary influence by living a life of nobility, courage, and authenticity. To meet other Knights of the Roundtable or to be a guest on this show, go to christyknights.com. Join us next week as we cross the bridge to meet the next Knight to join the roundtable of revolutionary leaders of influence and change. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.